You've all heard of the, uh, tr I'm sorry, the, the team building exercise known as the trust fall. And it's been mocked a great deal and uh, well, well deservedly, I think, uh, where a trust fall is where uh, one, you know, one person is standing there uh, straight and he's got a co-worker standing behind him and the manager or the business owner is trying to build trust between these two employees. And so he tells the one employee just to fall backwards and your co-worker is going to catch you. And I'm telling you right now that under no circumstances would I ever, ever fall backwards and trust any other person to catch me. But uh, that's called the trust fall. The purpose is to teach co-workers to trust one another. One of the greatest trust exercises of all time happened in the summer of 1859. There was a man named Jean-Francois, and it's spelled grave light, but I'm going to say Gravelo. So French section, how did I do? Jean-Francois Gravelo, does that sound about right? Uh, that's, I'm getting a courtesy nod, that means... Uh, <laughs> but that's okay, because he actually had a stage name that uh, is pretty a lot more English, and that is the Great Blondin. The Great Blondin was a, a tightrope walker. On June the 30th, 1859, at 5 o'clock in the evening, he did something for the first time that has been done many times since. And here is something else that you will never catch me doing, even if I had two good feet. He, they had stretched a rope about a quarter mile long, three inches thick, from the New York side of Niagara Falls to the Canada side of Niagara Falls. And with a crowd gathered there, he walked across the tightrope. He carried a pole for balance that was 30 feet wide. And he walked that quarter mile of rope from New York over to Canada. The halfway point was sagging 50 feet below each edge. So when he got to the middle, he, he had to walk the rest uphill. When he got to the halfway point, the great Blondin took a, a, and by the way, this is in many places on, on, the, on the internet. So uh, this, is, this is many different voices, and I didn't see a single place where this was argued against. I'm sure somebody out there says this isn't true. But uh, in fact, when uh, one of the times that we visited Niagara Falls, there was a display about the great Blondin and his trip. So... Uh, anyhow, when he got to the halfway mark, he took a cup on a string and let it down to the maid of the mist boat, which was waiting below. How many have ever ridden, I'm sure it's a different boat now, but the, you've ridden the maid of the mist at Niagara Falls. Let the, rope the cup down 
And they took the cup and scooped it into the river. And he pulled it back up and drank it. And then he continued his journey to the other side, as I said, uphill now, because the center point was sagging 50 feet below the end points. He got to the Canada side. They gave him a glass of champagne to celebrate. He was soaking wet, both with sweat and with the mist. He drank a glass of champagne, did a little dance on the tightrope, and then he made his way back to the United States side. It took him 20 minutes to go over, probably because of the drink of water, only eight minutes to come back. He did these performances throughout the summer of 1859 and then again through the summer of 1860. Every performance included a different uh, promotion. In other words, one time he crossed it on bicycle. One time he went back and uh, there and back on stilts on the tightrope. One time he did it at night. One time when he got out on the rope, he swung from the rope by one arm, dangling from the rope. One time he did somersaults on the rope. Another time he carried a chair out with him, balanced the chair on the rope, and did a handstand on the chair. One time he brought out a small stove with him and cooked an omelet. Another time he did it backwards over to Canada and back. Another time he did it blindfolded. And one time he persuaded his manager to let him carry him over to Canada and back. I don't even think I could have watched, let alone done any of those things. In one of Blondin's stunts, he pushed a wheelbarrow across the falls. And that's actually what I think we saw in a museum up there was the wheelbarrow. And here's the trust exercise. He wheeled it across a quarter mile on a three-foot cord from the United States across Niagara Falls to Canada. The crowd is watching, cheering. When he got to the Canada side, he said, who thinks that I could push this wheelbarrow back across with a person in it? And the whole crowd cheered. Then when they died down, he said, can I get a volunteer? And he got none. And I'm not saying anybody should have volunteered. But what I am saying is that I don't know of a better illustration of what it means to believe mentally and to actually trust. It's one thing to say, yeah, I think you can do it. And let's all be honest, there were folks in the crowd that would have loved to have seen him fall, right? I mean, I'm not saying I would have. I'm saying you know there were people that go, oh, it'd be so cool to watch him fall. And so they're all saying, yeah, 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 you can do it. 
But when it comes time to get in the wheelbarrow, that's a whole different level. That is called trust. Trusting the Lord means getting in the wheelbarrow that he's pushing. It means staking everything on him. The Bible talks an awful lot about trusting the Lord. I'm going to give you 10 examples. I could give you 100 easily. Listen to these 10. Psalm 2.12, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Psalm 4.5, put your trust in the Lord. Psalm 5.11, let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Psalm 7, verse 1, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Psalm 9, 10, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. Psalm 11, 1, in the Lord put I my trust. Psalm 16, 1, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. Psalm 18, 30, the Lord is a buckler to all those that trust in him. Psalm 25, 2, O my God, I trust in thee. Psalm 25, 20, let me not be ashamed for I put my trust in thee. That's 10 examples. I could give you 100 easily. I think far fewer Christians trust the Lord than, think they, than what think they do. Have you put your trust in the Lord. To the point where, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. David was saying, I'm in the wheelbarrow with the Lord. I'm trusting him. We talk about trusting God as if it's a bonus. Or we talk about trusting God like he's a good luck charm. But for the most part, we do not live our lives trusting the Lord. There's so many illustrations that are racing into my mind that are not in my outline. And be proud of me. I'm going to skip them all so we won't be here till two. But I simply want you to focus on this question is the reason that I put the picture up there. And honestly, I don't know if that's a photo. It sure looks like it's a photo. There are numerous artist uh, renditions of this paintings, but that looks like a photo. I'd be, I, I, I did not find out if it was. How, are you in the Lord's wheelbarrow? That's the question, truly. And I want you to assess either while I preach or later on, hey, am I really in the Lord's wheelbarrow in these, in these crazy times? Is your future in the Lord's wheelbarrow? There's never been a time in American history where things were more uncertain. There have been times where things have been as uncertain, but I'm not sure they've ever been more uncertain. And you are certainly warranted if you were ever warranted to fear, you are certainly warranted to fear. But if you choose 
you can put your fear in the wheelbarrow with the Lord and say, okay, if you go down, I go down. But I choose to trust you. Are you in the Lord's wheelbarrow? Are your finances in the Lord's wheelbarrow? Things are getting tighter. As you watch the news, people are getting more and more desperate. And it's going to continue. Let me say something that you're not going to like and you're probably not going to agree with. But I want you to ponder it. Anything that you complain about is an area where you're not trusting the Lord. Which means when you complain, and you're really not going to like this if you didn't like the last one. When you complain, you are complaining against the Lord. Well, I'm not sure about that. Well, just read the story of Israel. Every time they complained, they, were thought, they thought they were complaining against Moses. And every time the Lord said, why are they complaining against me? See, if you're supposed to be trusting the Lord, or if you claim to be trusting the Lord, and you complain, then who are you saying is at fault? A lot of times we know we're complaining against the Lord. We just don't have the courage to admit it. But other times we think that we're just complaining into the... Be careful what you think you're just saying into the thin air. I will catch myself approaching a light when I'm a little bit pressed for time. And I will catch myself speaking to the light... Please stay green. Please stay green. Please stay green. And the Spirit of God says, who exactly are you praying to? And I'm, yes. Lord, please keep the light green. Please keep the light green. But for some reason, we have this crazy idea that we can speak to the thin air, and that doesn't count as complaining against God. When you complain, you're complaining against the Lord. God made a promise, Christian. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Make God your first priority and all these things, all your needs, all these things shall be added unto you. That doesn't mean that you can ignore your responsibilities. It means when you put God first and you find that your resources are running thin, God says, I've got you covered. Have you put your fears in the wheelbarrow. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Have you put your health in the wheelbarrow with the Lord? Say, man, I've got a, I've got a health issue. It's chronic. I don't know what to do about it. I'm worried about my future. I'm worried about this, this, and this, and this. What do I do? You do the best you can. The best you can. You do what you ought to do. And then you trust the Lord and get in the wheelbarrow with him. Have you trusted the Lord with your relationships? 
Now, let me make a similar statement to the last one. You're not going to like this one either. When I have resentment against any person, my resentment is against the Lord. That's a hard one right there. See, I'm not sure I believe that. Well, you better ponder it because if it's true, you're going to be like that generation of Israelites that the Lord said, you can't go into promised land. Do you think resentment is any different than complaining? Do you think that their complaining might have been a form of, uh, might have been just outright resentment against Moses? Why'd you lead us out here? It sounds like resentment to me. Sounds like blame to me. So, if you are content to blame your boss for your working conditions, And everything, everybody, your coworkers hear from you is blaming the boss, blaming the boss, blaming the boss. Is there a possibility that you're actually blaming the Lord? Because the Lord could change that. When you put it in the Lord's hands, he could change the whole thing, right? And if you put it in the Lord's hands and he doesn't change it, it's because he chose not to, Right? Why were the waters bitter after they first crossed the Red Sea? Because the Lord was testing them. Do you know the whole purpose of the manna? God said so. If you go to Joshua and read, when God ended the manna, that's when he explained. You know why they've been eating this bread for 40 years? To prove them. To see if they trust me. Maybe the Lord Let's your boss continue to be such a jerk to see if you trust him. And when you're constantly blaming him, resent, I know this is cutting like right to where you live, and I'm sorry, and I don't know of anybody's story. Don't, don't, don't ask your wife, did you tell him about what happened this week? <laughs> Nobody told me nothing. But I've worked enough jobs to know that bosses once in a while can be unreasonable. And man, I've watched a lot of Christian fellow employee, fellow employees blow their testimony because they blame the boss for something instead of getting in the wheelbarrow and giving it to the Lord. This is a tough standard to live by, but I think it's scriptural. And I think I just showed you that it is scriptural. When I have resentment against any person, my resentment is against the Lord. Are we blowing our testimonies before other people, saved people and lost people, because we have resentment against people, and the reason we have resentment against people is because we do not get in the wheelbarrow with the Lord and give the issue to him. Are you trusting the Lord with your country? I say to you, keep praying for America and trust the Lord. Keep trusting the Lord. We're coming up on these elections, and man, too much in the last few years. By the way, I learned at Camp Constitution, these are not midterms. These are full terms for the, for the people that were uh, either voting out or reelecting. Um, to say it's midterms is to put all the focus on the, on the presidency, which it's not supposed to do. This is a full-term election for every U.S. Uh, representative. See, I was listening. 
But these are huge. We all know they're huge. We all know this is a huge election year. But don't put your stock. Hey, do everything you can. I believe in get out the vote. I believe in knowing who is uh, is running. I think if, if you don't like your if you're in the fifth district here, if you don't like Johanna Hayes, uh, the person running last name is Logan. I think his first name is Ben. Does that sound right? Huh? George. George Logan. Find out. Find out what they're about. If you if you live in New York, you're probably in the 18th district. Sean Patrick Maloney. If you like him, more time, more power to you. Find out who's running against him. I've read about the person, don't have their name memorized. Everybody in here probably lives in one of those two districts. Find out. Get educated. Make sure you go and, and vote. This is huge. But don't live and die by the outcome. Don't live and die by. Well, and listen, I'm 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 preaching to myself because I sit there on election night and I watch it all come in. And I uh, if you know, uh, I, I can tell you stories from many different years of, of uh, what I was doing, where I was, my reaction. And I know many of you the same because it's important to us and it ought to be important to us. But don't get too excited. You know, I haven't said this in a while. I'm going to say it again. 2016, and Dr. Tom Williams confirmed this. I asked him, I said, have you seen anything in your lifetime where Christians from all different camps were united in prayer for anything? And he said the only other thing that I think came close was the assassination of, of JFK. But he said, no. We were united in prayer. And I will go to my grave saying, I think we saw the hand of God work about 10 o'clock on election night. But we quit praying. We stopped being united. We thought that because we had won what we perceived to be a political victory, that we don't have to pray for our country anymore. And that's why we're in the mess we're in. Because I'm all for the process and we need to pray about the process and support the process. But we don't live and die by elections, folks. We live and die by intercession before the Lord. Are you in the wheelbarrow with the Lord concerning your country? Have you put your safety in the wheelbarrow with the Lord? Crime is cropping up and I think it's it's I think it's because people are getting desperate. It doesn't justify what they're doing. It's just that people are feeling more desperate and you're seeing all kinds of uh, uh, I, I read this. Uh, man, I, I got to get off that. Is anybody here on the next door app? I, I watch that thing and or look at that thing. Nobody is. Is that just OK? All right. A few of you are. Um, but I saw next last night in the next door. This may or may not be true, but it usually manifests itself in the news that uh, there was a man in the woods with a gun in Brewster yesterday and all kinds of cop cars and helicopters. And come to find out, they claim he had robbed a bank in, in Danbury yesterday. Some uh, Bank robbers. I mean, we're going back to Butch and Sundance. But we're going to see, we're going to see people get more desperate and that's when crime closes in. Crime is closing in. Bears are closing in. Skunks are closing in, right? By the way, teenagers, was there a little skunky smell up in the house? Raise your hand if you smell a little skunky smell. A little bit? Not a whole lot. Wow. Well, amen. Very good. You can, you can thank Miss Amy for that. She worked very hard to fight the skunky smell. And if you don't know why that is, ask somebody because everybody, just about everybody knows the story. 
I'm saying protect yourself the best you can. Trust the Lord. And I'll close with this. The first time I remember understanding this concept of trusting the Lord was on June the 8th, 1981. I was 14 years old. I've been wrestling with the confidence of my salvation. It plagued me from the time I was seven till the time I was 14. I'm not kidding you. I'm not exaggerating one bit that in seven years, thousands of times I said, Lord, if I wasn't saved before, please save me now. And that never worked. And I didn't know how to get that confidence. I heard a man preach on Monday night, June the 8th, 1981, a crowd of about 5,000 people. And he preached on this very thing. And I knew the whole time my heart was like throbbing inside of me because I knew that he was talking to me. I knew God was reaching out to me. I didn't know that if I could find the solution I'd been searching for because I hadn't found it yet. But something jumped out at me when he was closing the message about Christian young people who his message was actually Christian young people who think they're saved and they're not. That wasn't quite my situation, but I, I didn't have the confidence of my salvation. And But when he came to the invitation, he said something that I don't ever remember hearing before. I probably had heard it a hundred times. But he made this statement. Tell the Lord that you trust him to take you to heaven. My eyes were, never saw it like that before. I didn't know the wheelbarrow story, so I didn't, but it was the equivalent of get in the wheelbarrow. He said something else that that blew my mind. He said, when you trust the Lord for your salvation, then if you go to hell, it's his fault. I was like, man, that's, that's a little strong. But yeah, I guess that's what it means to trust the Lord, isn't it? And so I prayed the prayer, the, the words that I had prayed a thousand times. Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I don't want to go to hell. I believe Jesus died for my sins. But this time I said, I'm trusting you to take me to heaven. And the glory of God came over me that night like I can't even describe Now, I'll be honest with you, I didn't have the full confidence until four years later when I realized, you know what, I need to get baptized because when I got baptized as a boy, I I don't think I was saved. And I remember coming up out of the water when I was 18 with a glory that has not left my soul since. But it began that night, June the 8th, 1981, because I decided to trust the Lord with my eternal soul. Do you trust the Lord? Are you trusting him in every area of your life? He said, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord.